Every single day, our animals are trying to communicate with us. This podcast is a unique insight into what animals know and what they want to tell their humans, either while living with us or in spirit. Welcome to What Animals Tell Me. I'm your host, Annie Burke, and I'm an animal communicator and animal medium. My passion is animals, and I love communicating with animals who are living or in spirit and passing on their messages. Let's start today's conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What Animals Tell Me. I'm Annie Burke, your host. Today, I'm very excited to introduce my guest to you, Sarah McConnell. Sarah has a number of different interests and her background includes being a psychologist, a psychic and an animal medium. Sarah's had some very unique experiences with animals, so I've asked her here today to share one of those experiences. And so, Sarah, if you'd like to just start by telling us how you first got acquainted with your very special swans. Hi, Annie. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So here's how I got acquainted with my very special swans. We moved to a new neighborhood, which was on a lake, and that lake had two swans on it. I immediately noticed that the swans did not have the nutrition which they needed, and these are mute swans, the ones that you see in Europe, they're mute swans, they don't eat fish, they eat pond grasses and things like this. I noticed they didn't have the nutrition they needed. And so I started feeding them from my own dock on the lake. I bought food that the the pet store or the grain store said was suitable for this type of bird. And so, I drilled a feeder box to my dock on the lake and filled it with food each day so that they could have some actual nutrition. That's how I first met these two wild swans. And so did they come straight away when you put the food there? Like, were they aware that you were trying to help them? I think they were. I could see that they were very hungry. And I think they understood what I was doing and they were, they were cautious of me. So I would walk away. They were not tame swans. They had been placed on the lake. People thought they were beautiful, but people didn't consider, and their, their wings were clipped and they were wild, but the people used them as ornamental swans, not considering that they needed to have a food source. I happened to be the one who noticed that they were very underweight. And so I think they understood that I was offering something to them. And so they came to see it and I would walk away and that's when they would begin eating. Now you've shared with me before that the female had a very interesting way of communicating with you when she needed something. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, she got bored of the feed, which I had put in the box by the dock. And when she wanted bread, 
when she wanted human food, she would walk to my house and she would knock on my glass door with her beak. And I had a dog. And so my dog would hear the, the knock and my dog would start barking. And so I knew the female swan was there to get bread and water because that was her favorite treat. And so when she wanted bread and water, she came and knocked on my door and she asked for it. <laughs> that happened several months later. There was a process that had to occur for her, for her to get to that stage, if that makes sense. It was not immediate. Mm -hmm. And she did the had mail... to get acclimated. Yes. Okay. Did the male come with her to get that food no. as well? It was just her. Just her. The male was always standoffish. He stayed in the lake. He would stare at her, but he would never leave the lake. And he would stare at her until she came back. He was completely wild. He would not approach me at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I understand that her health deteriorated at some point and she sought out your help in that stage of her life as well. She did. I was looking for both of them on the lake one day. It was a very cold day. And I noticed there was only one swan on the lake. And I went outside and I saw the female laying down right up against my house. It was a bitterly cold day. And so I scooped her into my arms and she did not resist. I scooped her into my arm and I took her inside my house and I wrapped her in a blanket and I held her in my arms until I could get a hold of an animal rescue. And there happened to be one that was right near my house and they were able to help. So she was able to, I was able to actually drive her without even putting her in a container to this animal rescue. And they had heat lamps set up and we needed to find out what was wrong with her because she was fading quickly and she needed to be in a facility where they had heat lamps and medication and things like that. And so I was able to transport her there. And um, one of my family members drove us and I was able to hold her in my arms in the blanket for the ride. And she, she did not resist when we went to seek help, which was also interesting. She did not resist at all. It was as if she knew, yeah. which was very interesting. Mm -hmm. It was as if she knew that we were just there to help and she completely accepted it. And she mm -hmm. loved being in my arms. It was very, very moving. Mm. I'm just going buzzy all over listening to you sharing that story. So for me, that's confirmation that, yes, she totally understood that you were there to help her and that's why she accepted it. She so. she actually put her head on my shoulder. Oh, that's so beautiful. It, it was it was incredible. She had never done that before. I'd never touched her out of respect, but I saw she really needed 
she was very ill and she had come to me and I saw she needed to be wrapped in a blanket and brought inside and loved. And she, she laid in my arms and she laid her head on my shoulder and it, it was incredible. It was incredible. And are you able to share what happened after that then with her being at that shelter place? Unfortunately, it was a Sunday and the veterinarian who had normally helped was not able to come. And she she did pass on. And right before she passed on, the last thing she did was graze my cheek. With her beak. Yeah, she, now she, yes, with her beak. Now she did, that was rather the last moment I saw her. And then I left her with the keeper who had, who she had bonded with as well. And uh, she passed on with, with the keeper there. But her, her goodbye to me was that brush with her beak against my cheek. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't there for her physical uh, passing. I had to, to had to work and the plan was that I was going to come back the very next day and comfort her but she passed soon after mm -hmm. so her her goodbye to me was was brushing uh her her beak against my cheek is mm -hmm. like almost a kiss that's, of sorts yeah. that's beautiful that she did that for you as a sign of appreciating everything that you'd done for her it was incredible. So I guess the next question is then, how did the male react to not having his partner come home? And and what did you do with him? Well, someone in our homeowners association was brave enough to go and retrieve her body. I was not able to do that. It was too painful. And um, one of the gentlemen who lived in the neighborhood was brave enough to go. And we both realized that she needed to be presented to her mate so that her mate could understand what happened. And the neighbor was able to do that. And, and she was also buried in the blanket. That, that I had wrapped her in. She was given a, a beautiful burial near where her mate could visit on the lake. Mm -hmm. So, and, and he was able to see what was happening. Her mate was able to see and understand. So that, that was important that he knew what had happened to her. And we thought, that would be okay. We thought, okay, he's understood now that she's gone. And he did, he did understand that she was gone. And we thought, okay, our work is done. We were wrong. Mute swans are very quiet birds. That's why they are called mute swans. They don't have a particular call that they use. They use body language to communicate with each other so they're not mute 
when they're grieving. And this male swan fell so deeply into grief that he would make a shrill sound that would just pierce the darkness when the sun went down. The shrill sound that he made would just pierce the darkness. And since it was over water, sound travels. When you have any kind of body of water, sound is amplified. And so his, his shrill cries of grief were amplified and they just seemed to pierce the dark night. And it was so painful to listen to. I thought he had understood. I thought he had gained closure knowing what had happened. And I was wrong. Furthermore, he was still wild. I would come and feed him each day as I always had. And he did not warm up to me, which was interesting. He did not warm up to me. And so I talked to the neighbors and we thought he needs another swan friend. So we went to our government. Our government doesn't want mute swans in our area. They say that it's a deleterious species, which it's not, but they say that. So we went to the government to just try to get um, the law amended. We didn't necessarily need the law changed. We just wanted swans that were already existing to be grandfathered in, if that makes sense, to be grandfathered in so that you could simply get this swan a new friend, which already existed in the area. They, the government did not agree with that. And they told us no, they would not amend the law to include swans that were already in the area being relocated. They wouldn't do that. So we could not find him a new mate. And the Fish and Wildlife Department contacted us. They got news of the idea that we were trying to find a new mate. And our Fish and Wildlife Department actually called us and told us that if we got a new mate for the male swan, we would be fined 10,000 US dollars for breaking the law. So the Fish and Wildlife Department was actually watching us and telling us, if you bring an existing swan onto the lake, a second swan, we will actually fine you $10,000 and maybe you will serve jail time. That was a very interesting experience. Serve jail time, pay $10,000 simply for taking an existing swan and putting it on a lake. That was a very interesting experience. And so, 
Do you find that interesting at all? I think it's very tricky because a lot of countries now are understanding that animals have souls and have put legislation in that animals are sentient beings. So hopefully in time, some of this very what seems restrictive legislation may be changed as they understand what's actually happening, even if it's on a case-by-case scenario. But I just think, you know, this male was experiencing extreme grief uh, with his behaviour that you were experiencing. Um, And I'm just very impressed that you tried so hard through all those different levels of government to advocate for the swan and and try and alleviate his grief um, through getting someone else to help him. So since you ran into a roadblock with that option, what, what did you do then? Well, when I learned that I could be arrested or any of us could be arrested for bringing a new swan onto the lake and also having to pay $10,000 as a penalty for doing so, we gave up because they were serious. They were literally going to arrest people who wanted to bring a new swan onto the lake. I find that extremely excessive in nature Literally, I find that extremely excessive that one could be arrested simply for moving an existing swan onto a lake. That was a very surreal experience since there are things that happen in this world that people should be arrested for, but getting arrested? for taking a swan that exists and simply moving it to a lake. That seemed very excessive. And that was a very eye-opening experience in terms of how government can sometimes have their priorities a little bit wrong. Mm -hmm. We weren't doing anything, no. We weren't doing anything worth worth that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. Mm-hmm. So since you were you weren't able to find him a mate, um, what did you do with the swan, the male swan after that? Well, even though he was still wild, I decided I had to take it into my own hands and. One of my hobbies is singing. And so if I wanted to practice singing, I would sit on my dock and I would start singing. And pretty soon he became very interested. So the swan who doesn't normally make a sound became very interested in the human sitting on her dock and singing. That seemed to draw this wild male swan to me. He was very intrigued by my singing. And so as I came each day and sang and put out food and just spent time there on the dock, just singing, doing my own thing, he got used to me. 
he became used to me. And then he started um, seeking me out. Then he started seeking me out after that. Um, he would come to the dock when he wanted to interact with me. He would actually come to the dock. I would think he was hungry. So I would bring his food. I would pour the food into the, the bowl that I had there. And it turned out that he just wanted my company. He didn't want the food. So that was very interesting. So I realized, okay, the swan likes singing. So I would sit again and I would sing for the swan. And the swan would kind of swim around my dock as if the swan were dancing. And I was sitting there singing. And the swan just wanted to listen to me sing and swim around my dock as I sang. That was very surprising. And did that change his grief behaviour then with the shrieking that he had been doing at night? It did. He stopped shrieking at night. Mm -hmm. He stopped shrieking at night. So that's just After phenomenal that he changed his behaviours because of how you were interacting with him. It was very interesting because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to give the swan some comfort. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was improvising. I was mm -hmm. thinking, okay, I don't have anything left. I can't get this swan another mate or another friend. So I love to sing and I will sit on the dock and sing and at least the swan will have company. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that it would make a profound impact on the swan, that it was the singing that would draw the swan in. I had no idea. Now, you said earlier that the swans communicated with each other through some kind of body language communication. They do. Um, and Those so you were, swans do. you were doing this verbal communication with the noises that he was responding to but I understand yes. that he his body language with you started to change as well it did he he started bobbing his head he started bowing his head to me over and over again bowing his head and then he would bring pieces of grass or flowers in his beak and he would lay them on the dock as I sat there singing and I had my camera and I, I started photographing this because he would, when he found his joy again, that's what I'm going to call it. When he found his joy again, he started doing the most magnificent things with his wings. He would just spread his wings and just, just arch his back up and just look so joyful um, and beautiful. And so I would take photographs of, of this and I do have some of those. And uh, so I found this very interesting, what was happening. I would come with food and each day the swan simply just wanted me to either sit there and sing or just sit there with the swan and just look at the swan and talk to the swan. 
And I was just improvising because again, this was a wild animal. I didn't know what to do. So I was using my intuition, trying everything I could mm -hmm. to show the swan, you're not alone. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. So and you were doing the head bobbing back to him to acknowledge when he was doing some of those actions to yes. you? Yes, I started to bow my head back at the swan because I realized he was doing a friendly gesture. And so I started doing the same body language back to the swan. Obviously, the swan was trying to teach me the swan's language. And so he would bow and bob his head and I would bow and bob my head back in the same manner, the same speed. And then he just kept bringing me more flowers in his beak. And finally, I contacted a wildlife biologist who was in New Zealand, believe it or not, asking what on earth is happening here. And I sent photos to this woman and described to her what was going on. And I, I asked, what's happening? Why, what is the swan saying to me? Is the swan trying to communicate with me? in the way that swans communicate with each other. And I got a very long email back from this female wildlife biologist. And she said, uh, by your account of what's happening, this is how a swan tells another swan, I love you. And I laughed when I saw that because it was funny to think that a swan was telling a human, I love you. And I found that very amusing. And so did the wildlife biologist. And she asked for more photographs and I told her more. And she was very interested because she had never heard an account of a wild mute swan who was so hesitant at first. The swan did not want to have anything to do with any human, not any human in the beginning, to telling a human, I love you. And then she said when he would bring the branches, the grasses, and the flowers in his beak, and place them around me on the dock where I was sitting. She says that he was building me a house. So he was telling me, I love you and I'm building you a house. <laughs> and she had not, uh, she, she had not heard this or, or seen this before. And so this was a new behavior that this wildlife biologist could then document that a wild swan had actually befriended a human mm. and started doing, started giving the gestures of love that swans give to each other. That's just such an incredible story. <laughs> but for you to experience that and, and then, you know, having it, it's so unique, but also for the swan who'd gone through that, you know, traumatic grief process to then be able to develop a bond and, you know, feel as though that he was 
loved and being able to reciprocate that as well and having you being intuitive enough to work out, you know, how to communicate back with him to make him feel more whole again after going losing his partner. I just think that's such an amazing story and it doesn't really matter what species we are, you know, there are ways that we can communicate and we don't necessarily need words to communicate. You are absolutely right. It does not matter what form we are. Um, it really is the soul. I found a way to connect to the swan soul. And the wildlife biologist told me, and of course I told this to my friends, but the wildlife biologist told me that the swan had basically fallen in love with me. And of course, <laughs> when I told that to my friends, they saw the swan's interactions and they, they knew that what the biologist said was true. And so, of course, <laughs> people laughed a lot. Um, the swan's name was Prince. That was actually the swan's name. And so they would say, did your prince bring you a flower today? Where's your prince charming? And so it became a humorous thing with the people who knew me. <laughs> hey, a swan that's a prince who brings flowers, but it's a swan. And, and there is some humor in that. Hmm. At least it's a prince. I can understand because it's so different to what people have experienced that maybe they use humor just to help adjust to the reality of something that is just so different and surreal but I think obviously for the swan that was a genuine experience he really felt those emotions and I'm, I just think yes. you've done an amazing thing you know working as hard as you did to try and get him another friend once his partner had passed over and then when that wasn't successful, that you've been able to just through a process of time be able to communicate with him on a different level um, and to develop that very unique bond. It was an incredibly profound experience. And everybody who lived on the lake, Many people lived on that lake so they could actually see it. If they were looking out their windows, they could actually see it as well. So my neighbors also took notice. And so then my neighbors would watch to see what the, the swan and I were doing. And so this attracted many people's attention because it was very unique. Mm. The swan had always been wild. and wouldn't come close to anybody. So when the swan warmed up to me in that neighborhood, of course, all the neighbors loved to watch this happening because it was very heartwarming to them. They, they loved the swan as well. The neighbors also loved the swan very much. Um, so they, they had a good time watching the whole process unfold and they were also relieved because many of them 
loved animals just as much as I do. And, and they too were very concerned about the, the cries. Everybody could hear the cries at night. Everybody who lived on that lake could hear the cries because they were so loud. Everybody heard them. And so this was a neighborhood thing. The whole neighborhood was really trying. They were behind me and getting Prince a new friend because everybody heard the grieving, saw the grieving. And of course, they loved having the swans on the, on the lake. It wasn't the same. And so they were also very interested to see how the process unfolded. And so I had many actual humans who watched the entire process unfold firsthand. So that was also very interesting. It wasn't just something that I was telling people. All these people were witnessing it firsthand for themselves. And that made it even more powerful. So if the that swan, makes sense. Yeah, so the swan's behavior obviously affected lots of people. So that impact has really rippled out. Thank you oh, for yes. sharing that story. But I'd just like to, in closing, ask you uh, what were your most profound learnings from that experience and how has it changed you with how you interact with animals? Well, I love that question. Let's see. Here are some of my takeaways from that experience. I I absolutely learned. Now, I, I always knew intuitively that we all have souls. It doesn't matter what material shape we come in, in this three-dimensional world. I always knew that. But this experience affirmed that it truly does not matter what form a soul or a being takes in this three-dimensional world. If you can find a way to connect on the soul level, that soul connection bridges any perceived differences. So that was a very profound takeaway. Another profound takeaway was I felt I had always been able to communicate with animals due to earlier experiences in life. This proved to me that I was indeed capable of communicating with an animal and all these people witnessed it and they were absolutely in awe of seeing what unfolded. And it also taught me that when communicating with an animal, I really do need to let my intuition be the guide. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't try to wrap so-called reason around the experience. Let the experience flow. Follow the intuition. See where the intuition goes, even if it seems far-fetched, for example sitting on a dock and singing to a swan that can't sing, sing seems a little bit far-fetched. And yet my intuition said, go sit on the dock and sing to that swan. 
if I had listened to my rational mind, I would not have done that. And so I listened to my intuition, even if it seemed strange, I still listened to my intuition. And the intuition is so strong when it comes to animal communication. Lean into that intuition. Let go of the logic. If you can, try to let go of the logic and let that intuition be your guide because it absolutely opens these communications that are beyond your wildest dreams. I'm really uh, impressed with how you've integrated all of that experience um, and they're absolutely fabulous messages for people to listen to and I totally agree that sometimes animal communication you just doubt whether you're really getting the right messages or not but it is learning to trust your intuition and be open so that those messages come through so whether it's translating that body language or whether it's actually translating um, verbal or uh, other messages that we get from the animals it's it's being open to receiving that's so important and what a magnificent experience to make such a difference for that one animal and then that experience has now rippled out and affected so many other people from the biologists and the legal people where you tried to raise awareness of and on your neighborhood of people supporting as well so pair of swans has made a huge difference in the world and i really thank you for what you did with helping them but also sharing your story so that more people can understand how we can interact with the our wild friends so thank, thank you, you. Thank you, Thank Sarah. I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate your time too. And I, my hope and my prayer is that whoever's listening to this podcast can understand that if they have an animal that they are, or rather a four-legged family member, or even a wild species in their yard, or a four-legged family member that has passed beyond the so-called veil, please know that you can communicate. Please know that you can communicate. The mechanism is soul and intuition and understanding that we really are souls and letting that exterior form drop away and connecting to that soul and understanding this is a soul, this is a being that we are connecting to who is equally intelligent in their own way. And that's where the intuition can guide. And those souls beyond the veil can also come and communicate with us. And they desire to communicate with us. And I just hope that anybody listening to this finds some comfort or some confidence as well in communicating with animals in their own way.
Thank you, Sarah. That's a beautiful message. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of What Animals Tell Me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What Animals Tell Me. I'm Annie Burke, Cosmic Heart Intuitive, Animal Relationship Enricher, Animal Medium and Animal Communicator. If this podcast was valuable, I'd appreciate you liking, subscribing and leaving your review. You can find more information about my work on my website, www.cosmicheartintuitive.com.au. You can also join my Facebook pages, Annie Burke and Cosmic Heart Intuitive, or connect with me on LinkedIn on my Annie Burke profile, B-O-U-R-K-E. I look forward to sharing more of my animal conversations and experiences in the next episode.